Hey, PTW listeners, this is Scott Trout, your host. You are about to listen to part two of my brother's episodes, Casey, and I'm very excited for you to listen. There is some intriguing information in here that I think is going to challenge both Christians and non-Christians. Casey's got a unique way of articulating his beliefs and his journey. In it, you're going to find uh, his thoughts on pleasure and the the Christian moment of needing to decide, are you going to pursue the worldly pleasures around you or are you going to actually follow Christ? And he's pretty honest about his life as well as the fact that he doesn't have shame about what he's done, but more the inauthenticity that he had in his life. And then you're going to hear about Casey's journey from Protestantism to Orthodoxy, which is going to fly in the face of a lot of my listeners who, like me, are Protestants. I'm very curious to hear what you have to say in response to Casey's thoughts. So please follow us on Instagram and let us know what things you might be triggered by from Casey's episodes because I got a little triggered. Joey thought I was mad. I would say I was more like heated. You know, heated is the thing that brothers can do and still like each other. Mad is the thing that we do to end conversation and never speak to each other. I wasn't mad, I was just heated. So we'll see what you get as you listen. But either way, let us know. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. We are back. We're here with Casey, my brother. He is the second oldest of the family of five brothers that I'm a part of. Uh, Maybe you'll get a chance to hear from more of them. Very exciting. Also here with Joey. And we have gotten a great glimpse into the mind of Casey here uh, in, the, in the first episode as we jumped into some of the major pillars as to why he believes in Christianity and specifically in the person of Jesus. So you'll have to take a l- listen to that to get up to speed, but we're going to take it in a different direction this time into more of the personal journey that Casey's been through of faith. Uh, so Case, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Joey? Thank you for coming back from your potty break. Always. <laughs> Always. <laughs> um, cool. Cool, cool. So, Case, uh, could you describe what, uh, what faith looked like for you when you, were, when you were younger? What was the background that you were raised with uh, in faith or even just your earliest impressions of uh, Jesus, Christianity, spirituality? Walk us through some of the earliest moments. Yeah, um, and I'm going to have to dig deep for that. Um, you don't have to go crazy early, but just some of the formative first impressions that you had within Christianity. Huh. Yeah, I, I um, um, you know, daily life, um, and that, that really was how they conquered uh, trials and how they overcame um, struggles was through reference to a higher power Hmm. and that's all I've ever known. So I don't, I don't know what it would feel like. That's kind of the hard part about being alive is you see things from one vantage point, but um, I don't know how it would feel to have parents that didn't reach out for help to something beyond the, the earthly plane 
but I know that that really informed me to see that and to see that that was some that was power that could be accessed. Um, I remember early on, some of my earliest memories were like struggling with theology and like questions of like damnation and stuff like that. And just being really broken that, you know, according to my parents that some people were going to be separated from other portions of humanity and from God. And that, that was, I remember like being awake at night crying about that and mom coming in and comforting me. I was like five or six and like, it just so disturbed me. Um, and, uh, I think, um, I think one atheist said it's like child abuse to teach them that, <laughs> but it was disturbing. And it was like, um, so that, so it's it, theology and like the question of like, what is true? Uh, what, what is like the, um, hard realities of the, what we believe is, has always been something that I've struggled with and has been a part of my journey. Um, and uh, the implications of things. So that was like five years old and that's carried through till now. So I would say that uh, that's like the earliest things, like seeing that mom and dad relied on some, this thing, it was like this thing, they relied on it to get through hard things. Mm. And that was just really, it, I was as an impressionable kid that really made a, a huge impact. Hmm. Okay. And so then um, walk me then through uh, as you started to figure out who you were as a young adult, um, which probably also implied who, who you were as a thinker and uh, things that you agreed with and disagreed with, with how we, you know, might've been raised or just the environment that we were around. So now we're moving into high school-ish and moving into college. As you started to find your own path, what did that look like? Well, um, I think the major thing everyone goes through is balancing or weighing the benefits of being a Christian because it requires that you, if you're genuine, if you, if you don't care about being true to yourself and what, what does anything matter? But, but if you like care about actually being genuine to yourself, you can't be a Christian and also pursue all the pleasures of the world. And so everyone struggles with um, how much am I really willing to give up of the pleasures of the world? Cause they're very pleasurable. And, uh, <laughs> and, like, you know, and everybody can reach out and grasp a different amount of the pleasures of the world. So much power, so much fame, so much fortune, so much women, so much, you know, you know sex and, and just everything. Not everyone has the same capacity, but they have a capacity, right? There's a, a certain amount they could reach out and grasp if they wanted it. To want more than what they currently have or something. Right. But even just want your own potential. But Christianity doesn't even allow you your own potential in those areas. It oftentimes says, no, like even like, let's say something like polyamory versus like monogamy. That's a sacrifice. Like you're making a sacrifice at that point. Um, if you're going to say like polyamory is like the wish fulfillment of the modern day, right? To have multiple partners kind of have. And just have it work, have it be yeah. good. Have everyone cool with it. Have a culture that gives you the big old thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. Well, Christianity gives you the big old thumbs down. And <laughs> you have to um, you have to say to yourself, like, I like polyamory. I'm polyamorous in my heart. Like I'm like I would like that. 
Uh, just to be real honest, like that sounds cool to me. Mm-hmm. It's just that I can't do that and also be a Christian because um, I wouldn't be genuine. I wouldn't be a genuine Christian, which unfortunately for me being a genuine person is important. I'm not always genuine because I fall short, but that's my goal. And my goal is to be genuine. And which means I have to let go of some of these things I really want. And um, do I think I could, you know, manage loving multiple women like Solomon did and, and making it kind of work? I, I think I maybe could. I don't know. It's just that Christianity gives me the thumbs down. And so I have to decide which do I want. And so high school and, um, and uh, college, I would say, were times when like that was the battle was there and I wasn't sure who was winning. And I was like losing sight of my own being genuine to myself. And that's the thing is like genuineness is something, again, you hold for yourself. People can judge the exterior and you can look all put together. But when you go to sleep at night, you have to deal with who you are to yourself. And if I can't believe that, like that will lead to like ending your life. If you don't, if you can't be true to yourself. And I wasn't, I wasn't being true to myself. So that was like the struggle where I was like, if I'm true to myself, I either have to be a Christian or give that up and just totally jump into the world and be like, all right, let's do this. Mm. And, um, yeah. I, and so that was the, I would say that was like the struggle time for that. Hmm. That's good. I can totally relate to that. I, and I like how you articulated it, but yeah, it was this feeling of I'm totally trying to do both things and I can't, I, I'm doing the whole, like one foot in one foot out. I'm, I've got, I've got feet on two sides of this fence. Um, and it produces all sorts of like, yeah, just feeling of like, yeah, I'm, I'm not consistent. I'm not who I want to be. Uh, yet I still want this thing and I want this thing. And so it's like, I needed to ultimately choose. Inauthentic is what I would say it was. It was inauthentic and something to be not looked back on with pride, with shame. Maybe it's like, it's not the things that I'm ashamed of. This is the key point. I'm not ashamed of pursuing worldly lust. I'm ashamed of pretending like I was a Christian at the same time. Yeah. And like, the thing is like, I just wish I had maybe just been like, I'm not a Christian. I'm just doing the secular thing. Mm. And I would not be ashamed of anything I did because it's all natural. It's all, I actually don't, they're all natural things and they're actually good things in a natural sense for But it's just that you shouldn't claim to be something you're not. Mm. That's the thing that I would say I would be ashamed of, but, the, but the, I'm also not ashamed because everybody goes through it. So uh, nobody's better than me. So, you know, I won't flip anyone off, but it's like, I don't think I'm like, look, I'm, I'm not a great person, but I also don't think anyone's all that much better. So, right. It's a stage that, that <laughs> I think a lot of people yeah, go through. Joey, it yeah, looked like you had a thought. Oh, I totally had a thought because we had this conversation in a previous episode. I feel like with Douglas, um, that it was all based on morals, but the way you say it, it's not necessarily morals. It's more like who will I want, uh, who do you want to be as a person and decide to act upon that uh, through either uh, being judged or maybe even feeling shame towards it and not necessarily because it's the right thing to do, which is fascinating. Yep. Wait, wait, yeah. Joy, explain that just a little bit more. So, well, you... so if you, if you act because of morals, it's in your belief that it's right, the right thing to do. If you do it because you feel like you might be shamed, 
it's because society tells you to do something because they want you to do it. Hmm. And I feel like there's the huge difference between that. Because the funny thing, for, uh, because I'm not a Christian, but at the same time, it's in my belief system that I'm doing the right thing to be with one partner, to not try to cheat on them, to do certain things a certain way, um, but still do certain pleasures uh, up to a limit. So that's morals. It's not because society says it's right or wrong. They do, but I don't really give a damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Hmm. In case it seems like you're saying, because um, I think this is maybe a misperception then, Christian, people often think that Christians have just this set of rules or, or morals, kind of like what you were saying, Joey, or, or like our boundaries or little guardrails for our, for our behavior. And it's like, well, yeah, no sex before marriage or, uh, and these are the things that we don't, you know, and only one partner and marriage bed is between a, a man and a woman. Um, but then ultimately you're kind of saying, you're taking it a step forward. You're like, those might be the symptoms of what Christianity is because what Christianity is, is saying God chooses everything I do. And if I'm going to call myself a Christian, I live by his, uh, by him, by what he says versus yeah, just guess, these rules. I guess um, I'm trying to like put it, in a better way than I did. I think I, I put it confusingly maybe, but it, it's just that I don't see these things as necessarily like um, evil or like bad. It's just like, I think of like a, a parallel. Um, it's just that you're claiming to be a part of a group that has these boundaries but you're not living within those boundaries. Yeah. I'm not claiming one is better than the other. It's just, you shouldn't claim to be in this group if you're not following their precepts. So uh, for me, I was like the inauthenticity of it was um, a problem for me. Hmm. Um, you know, like you shouldn't claim to be uh, a role model for healthy living if you're not living healthy like like or like not even healthy living but just like that's a good example. Think of something like doesn't have like a moral component to it but you're just like you're you're claiming to be this thing you should yeah, be what do you no, think but, oh no that's a perfect example because uh, a friend of mine uh and uh she and i talked about this on instagram there's a lot of people that advocate like being confident and being healthy but there are these really huge women uh, like li literally let's not talk around it just fat women being like but yeah but I'm confident so this is a good thing huh. and I feel like it's a good example because you cannot be like oh I this is a good thing while it's a bad thing right right yeah yeah, hmm. Hmm. yeah. so to be part of a group you need to be not a hundred percent like the group but follow their basic their basic steps hmm. yep. I feel hmm. like that's it Okay, so Case, you might have even already been going into this, but was there a period of doubt in that chunk, college-ish, where you, you had genuine thoughts of, I, I don't want to be a Christian anymore? Not doubt in the truth of Christianity, but doubt whether I was really felt like it was worthwhile um, or whether like it was worthwhile in the moment. Like I was like, maybe I can just kind of put off being a good Christian and then like pick it up later. 
Mm. <laughs> I'm so sorry. This is so funny because I just imagine being in college and you just standing there in a room and suddenly a typical college orgy breaks out and you're like, am I still a Christian at this moment? Yeah. <laughs> and do I really I, want to be like this? I'd say that's like probably a good, you know, analogy. It's just it, all the things were offered. And um, I, I, you know, so... I would say that looking back on that time is a time where I'm like a lot of time. I don't think I was authentic and that is what eventually destroyed me on the inside where I was just like, I don't like that feeling. I love the feeling of pursuing worldly things. I'm never ashamed of that. It's just by the way to everybody, I'm not ashamed of anything. I've, I've done on that score. The one thing I'm ashamed of is saying that I was something and not being that. Hmm. So um, as far as like all my relationships, all of the choices I've made, I'm not ashamed. I'm human. Like it's, they're human things to do. I lived the human experience. Um, I'll, I'll leave it up to other weak people to be ashamed. I'm not ashamed. And I don't apologize for anything, hmm. but I am broken inside that I am not authentic because that I've lost something. I could care less what other people think. I've lost something of my own identity by being inauthentic. And so I'm trying to regain that, trying to build towards that. So then what was the catalyst case then um, to, 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 as you say, either come back to kind of like a full conviction or a full, I'm going to, this is what I, this is what I want to be. Or was it, um, yeah. Yeah. What was kind of like the turning point there from, what was the point that you decided I'm not going to, uh, pursue worldly pleasures anymore and still call myself a Christian and actually kind of forsake those for my Christianity? Well, I think um, probably the tipping point for myself and I would guess a lot of people is when you, when you end up hurting people and your decisions ultimately have real world ramifications, that's when you're like, uh, your authentic, your inauthenticity, your lack of genuineness, is suddenly thrust in your face like a mirror and mm. the image that you behold is very disturbing. And so I think um, none of these things would even be that hurtful if you had just been authentic. Like I have friends who are like, dude, I just love sleeping around. It's just who I am. I just, what I do, you know, I don't have any beliefs outside of that. And I'm like, they're being authentic to who they are. <laughs> Like that that's who they are at that moment. That's who they are. They're not claiming to be anything else. They're being authentic. I was not. And the image of that was so distorted and broken that I was like, that's gross. I don't want to be that. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so would you have any thoughts to the one style of life is better than the other? No, I mean, the secular life is way better. It's way more enjoyable. Uh, it, it lacks stuff, uh, on a certain plane, it's way better. So was it Epicurus who said pleasure is one of the greatest pursuits, right? There's, there's power, there's fame, there's fortune, there's honor, not like there's a couple of, but like being honored by people, being thought dignified, right? And then there's pleasure. Well, all of these service the mind, right? But Epicurus, I think it was him said, Pleasure is the one that serves the body. Um, 
you can gain pleasure through the other means, but pleasure is the, the one that actually serves by the others are all in the mind. They're uh, metaphysical almost. Um, so my point is just, those are all pretty great on the earthly plane living on earth. Uh, it's just the definition of wisdom. A lot of people say is being able to play the long game, being able to, what, what do they say? Um, you're able to, uh, put off present desires for long-term goals. That's like the definition of actually growing up, like actually becoming wiser is like able to say no to something immediately so that you can gain something bigger in the future. Uh, so wisdom would preclude going after all your desires, but yes, of course, those are, that's what makes life on this world. Great. Mm. Even Paul says as much, he says, you know, we're all fools. If we're wrong, we should just be eating and drinking and making merry. So if our faith is in vain, Mm. But so, it's actually yeah. kind of funny because I I wager that it really also depends on the person because I know people from both sides right now and I feel like as long as you look back at the end of your life without regret, without hurting people, no matter which choice you made, like fully living to, uh, with drugs, sex and rock and roll or through God and just following certain footsteps, if you look back and you didn't hurt anyone else and you are happy, that's, that's the greatest thing. It's if just, you were happy. If you're happy, yes. Right. Because that's, that's the key point. If you're unhappy and you have a life full of regrets, you did you you made the wrong choice. I know a couple people that, uh, a friend of ours that has been on the show, Irina, she was op very open about it. She does not want to have kids, no matter what happens. And she will get to the point that she either uh, keeps this up, which I believe she will, or that she gets to an age that she regrets it. For example, and I feel like that's a great example because a lot of people live that lifestyle of sleeping around, doing whatever because they don't want to have kids, and then they go through that threshold of being able to get kids, and then they feel regret. And yeah. I feel that's the moment you either made the wrong or right choice. And if you feel regret, I I feel like it wasn't that you pursued worldly things like pleasure and power. It's just that you did it poorly. Like you sucked at it. <laughs> Like yeah, you should have done it better. Like if if you want to have be polyamorous, and then you later are like, ah, oh, it ended up with so much drama. Well, you did it wrong. You sucked at it. Yeah. Uh, like I bet there's a way to do polyamory. Animals do polyamory all the time. It seems to work out. Them bonobo chimps. Go look it up. But like it, it's it's they do it just fine. It's possible. Um, it's just if you aren't able to do it. That doesn't say anything about the, the the value of pleasure or the value of power. It just means you did it wrong. Yes, I'm wondering if I'm mishearing you though. Uh, I guess I come from a presupposition or just a perception in my mind that truly just like going after pleasure is going to run itself out. That it's inevitable that you're going to hurt people or get hurt. Do, do you, do you not share that? No, no, it's just if you do it wrong. I think there's ways to live uh, a satisfying life here on earth to a point, right? Satisfying to a point uh, outside of Christianity. If, I mean, like you can, like, there's a lot of people listening to this aren't Christians. They're like, I'm quite satisfied with my life. I'm doing all right. And I would say, I believe you. I think you're living a satisfying, I bet you're living a satisfying life. You're, you're probably playing your cards right. And, um, 
Cool. It, it's just, um, it's not a long enough game for me. I think it lacks a little wisdom as far as uh, the temporal world is, is all that you have placed importance on. I think that's missing the ball. I think you're actually, um, that's, that's actually not accurately understanding reality and, and that will have repercussions. But as far as if this world was all there was, right. Then I think there's a way to do it satisfyingly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I see what you're saying. Um, okay. Joe, do you have a thought on that? No, I think it's really hilarious because I feel like you're kind of the, not even kind of, I feel like you're the opposite. I feel like you're totally like I am with Brianna. I will stay with Brianna. No need for anyone else to be there to feel that fuel that relationship and that and that type uh, that type of love. And Casey said he's obviously happy with his wife. And then, but still, if if there was a way to make it work and she was alright with it, he wouldn't necessarily say no to someone else as an extra partner, not as a not as a replacement. Right. Which is totally okay, is that what you're saying, Case? I'm saying there's a part of me that's gregarious. That the the desire is there for like King Solomon's like harem of concubines like and but i would say in any man who has like any slight gregarious side of him what's gregarious mean i don't know that word just i i don't know if i can put a great definition to it but i would just say uh very you know hungry for the for the worldly pleasures um you know i would say that that desire is there and that monogamy is a sacrifice and, and, and it's a sacrifice I'm very excited to make. And there are things that you get from monogamy that you couldn't have otherwise. I believe that. But there are also things that you're missing out on in monogamy. So it's a trade-off. Um, but my point is that, yes, Christianity does preclude things that are, I think, kind of good in some sense. Not good morally. I'm just saying good in some sense. Okay. You, I, I totally called you out, Scott, because it, you definitely weren't paying attention because I was like totally on top of this. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm, I'm with it. I think, ah, Case, I think you're making a weird point. It's a weird point for me. I see what you're trying to say, and I'm with you. Of course, there's a part of me that would also love polyamory. I love my college days. Would love the memory of them. Would love to be back in them. Um, but you like maybe balance us out a little bit. You've, we've really weighed the scales and saying, Hey, y'all Edenism is not only viable, but far superior. Um, maybe give us a picture as to why, because I feel like Joey's like, yeah, Casey's got a side piece. Um, but I don't, <laughs> no, I don't have a side piece. And uh, so can you, can you, can you weigh this out as to why um, submitting to God or monogamy or uh, is, is a good choice or, so the, or the reason I bring all this up, Scott, is because, uh, because of authenticity, like it would be inauthentic of me to say, and I know there's so many men listening who are like, Hey, I have these desires in me. And it, and it is a decision, a sacrifice I'm making to pursue Christ, to let go of these things that I could otherwise pursue. And I just want to say like to those guys, which I think is almost all guys. Yeah. I mean, that, that's there. And there's, there's different but equal sacrifices that women make. 
um, to pursue a, Christ, a, a life of pursuing Christ. And, and, and the thing isn't like suddenly you realize all those things were evil. It's actually that, that they're good. It, sacrifice is not a sacrifice. If what you're sacrificing has no value, right. those things have value. And, and that's just my point. And I do think Christians play this game of they want to like bash their old life so that they feel, they feel like they're not sacrificing things in the present, which what you're saying is like, uh, no, those are sacrifices. And you don't need to be like, wow, these people that do these things when you were the one that did it, they're like so evil. And, um, well, just but more an that, honest, a more honest portrayal of like, hey, these are the options you can do in life. But right. here is, and you're sacrificing something to choose this, but here's why it's ultimately superior. So that's the thing I want to hear from you is why is Christ favorite? Like why choose Christ then? Right. Well, so for example, like think of the vision quest. This is common to a lot of religions, like even um, Native Americans in, Amer in, in the region of Colorado and elsewhere would go on vision quests. But Christ himself went on a vision quest into the desert, right? The whole point is that you fast, that you uh, are exposed to the elements, um, that you go up to some high place and you do all these things which are uncomfortable. Think about it. like. What animal just does this? Animals have polyamory. Animals have all these things that they do, pleasures that they seek out. Power, all these things. But who seeks out vision quests? Humans in a religious context seek out a vision quest. And it always has to do with letting go, sacrificing the pleasures of the world and accepting asceticism for a short time or maybe a longer time. But asceticism, you're, you're actually giving up things. Why? Because you actually believe that there's something beyond those pleasures that you can attain, that you can access. Hmm. If you didn't think that, you wouldn't do it. It would be stupidity. It would be foolishness. Hmm. But if it is there, then it's wisdom. And that's what Christianity is. It's, hmm. it's the ultimate form of that. It's, it, it, when it's practiced authentically, it is a form of asceticism where you're seeking the divine by by sacrificing temporal things. That's the definition of asceticism, denying the body for some greater thing. I mean, um, it, it's a form of like uh, removing things from yourself, whatever it may be, maybe food, maybe shelter, something so that you can access something beyond this world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Okay. All right. You want you wanted fire, so I thought, <laughs> hey, Scott's not paying attention. We can bring some fire into I'm this. Attention. <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> trying to figure out what Case is trying to say. Um, so okay, Case. So now walk us through uh, your your interaction with the church, God's body, um, body of believers here on this earth. So kind of post college and and into yeah current adulthood. But uh, what's been your journey with? Um, understanding the importance of the church and which one to be a part of. Yeah. So, like I said, theology has always been important to me because that's just, that's just a fancy word for like reality. What is real is important to me. Mm. And when it comes to <laughs> spiritual things, they just call that theology, but that's just the practice, trying to understand what's real. Well, um, you know, I've, I've had a journey through what I think is real. And I would say that I don't map 
perfectly over my parents, over my brothers on certain topics, on certain, certain things. But what ultimately happened was Protestantism as a whole no longer mapped for me over what I understood to be reality. Wait, um, pause real quick, yeah. just because I'm curious that as you do this, that Joey's tracking too, because it might be, we have, you know, hopefully non-Christian, Christian audience. So Joey, when, when we throw out terms like Protestantism, do you have like a frame of reference for that? No, but I'm also the type of person that's fully like, I'm going to Google this afterwards and just <laughs> and just make sense of what, what's been told. There's a right. lot of things to Google after these two episodes. <laughs> the, the, oh. These episodes, the show notes will contain all the expert information. <laughs> Good luck, Scott. Okay, so, so do it so, in a way that, for, yeah, so explain Protestantism. Explain. Protestantism is basically the idea that... Um, you can access the truth of Christ, of his word, um, without reference to an institution on earth. And so I agree that we're all priests, that we're all equally able to access a relationship with Christ, but I disagree that on your own, on an island, even with some other people, you can protect the truth of what Christianity says. The reason I started doubting that was when I was, um, I guess, in college, uh, the church I was going to started preaching things that I felt very strongly were not uh, the, the truth of reality. And that really disturbed me because I respected the guy, the people at that church, I respected the pastor. But then I realized, I was like, but how do I know that they're wrong and I'm right? How do I know that I'm not wrong and they're right? And with Protestantism, the issue is there's actually no way to answer that question. It's actually impossible. Um, it, there's no way to know. You can just be like, well, I have a strong conviction. Well, they could just say the same thing. And then you just square off, I suppose, and you go your separate ways. And that's exactly what happens in Protestantism. It just fractures into lots of different denominations that say, this is reality. This is reality. Yeah. And so, what, pause real quick, Case. So, so yeah, uh, Joey and others, Martin Luther is probably a name that maybe you've heard. He was the first person to translate the Bible from Latin into a common language. Yeah, know all about him. So he started this huge reformation this huge change within Christian church because before there was the Pope and the Pope was the church, the Catholic church. And anyone who call, called themselves a Christian was a part of that church. Don't mind the wee wee sound outside. Um, but, and, but then through Martin Luther, it was uh, we're going to make the Bible accessible to the common people in their common language so that they can read it. They don't need a priest to read it. So then they can come to their own conclusions um, and so some amazing things came out of that um, individual faith, this idea of uh, Jesus as our savior, not a priest as our savior, the church can't sell forgiveness, things like that. People like John Calvin came out of this, which is huge for our Dutch audience here. John Calvin um, had a huge impact on the Calvinism that's seen here in the Netherlands. Um, but also like what Casey's saying, and you see this a lot in America, uh, probably elsewhere, but there can be this fractioning 
aspect where it's like we we're a southern baptist church but we don't really like the southern baptist convention denomination so we're gonna create our own little pocket so then they're like well we're gonna make a church and then it can just kind of keep happening kind of thing that's what you're talking about case yeah just that everyone gets the right to interpret the what the bible means right the bible is comprised of words but the meaning sits above it and you're trying to access the meaning of word of of what the intent of the writer was through the words right and what people say in protestantism is everyone has the ability to do that well how can that be true if they're all saying different things obviously someone's getting it wrong and that was what kind of broke that's kind of what stabbed the bubble and it went pop for casey and was like oh this is stupid so um then i went on a journey i was like is there a, the concept of the church suddenly just dissolved i was like i don't care about this concept anymore it seems stupid to me and um I was like, there is no such thing as the church. And uh, so then I went on, it went on a journey of seeing if there really was something that I could call the church. And that's how, that's where, that's what eventually led me to orthodoxy. Uh, so, do you, I mean, do you want me to get into that or? Yeah, yeah, explain orthodoxy. Okay. So initially I went to Catholicism because Catholicism says, no, there's not lots of different truths. Not everyone gets to interpret it for themselves. The truth is established by the church. And uh, it's not established by individuals just reading the Bible and coming up with their own interpretation. And I like that. However, my problem with, the, with um, Catholicism was it still placed interpretation in the hands of one man, the Pope. And the Catholic Church has a, a reputation for changing their views on truth. So it was the same thing. It was one Pope disagreeing with previous Popes as to what reality was. And I was like, again, bubble popped, stupid. I don't care to be a part of that. Um, so then I went, I was like, all right, I got to do some research in church history. And that's when I discovered, um, that's when I discovered that, uh, the Catholic church had emerged actually out of the Orthodox church that the Catholic um, Pope was used, was at one time just a Bishop among many bishops in the Orthodox church. And that the way that they used to decide theological disagreements was actually have ecumenical councils. And guess what? The Pope did not decide what the, what the decision of that ecumenical council was. He got one vote, just the same as every other Bishop. He wasn't more powerful and he did not speak ex cathedra. I think that's the term. Um, right. Okay. Multiple terms, ecumenical council. There was like five leaders of the different major churches in the very early parts of Christianity that made decisions for all of Christianity together. Right. That's what the councils were. Right. So these bishops are, are like the heads of, of different churches and they would come together on theological um, discussions and and if there was some something to be discussed some heresy to be uh excommunicated they would come together and decide upon that hmm. and there's nothing like that in the protestant church there's no way to actually determine what is true for the rest of the church so that was one that was pretty much the major reason i started looking into orthodoxy hmm. um okay so joe do you have any questions kind of based on that that lowdown no. No, and the funny thing is, if I was inside religion, I would totally side with Casey on this, because 
I if if someone tells me right now that something is something and I'm a hundred percent convinced that it's not the right thing or that I'm right, I will stop following this person. Uh, we a good example is we went once went on a camping trip and we had to walk back, and everyone was like, "No, we need to go right." Even the camp camp leaders were were going right, and I'm like, "No, if we go left and we go through this impasse, we're there already." And they walked for an extra hour, and I just sat there at the campsite like, hey, I was the wild guys, because <laughs> I would laugh. <laughs> but, uh, but, but same with this. I, if, if a priest would tell me, or anyone would tell me a certain story, and I'm like, but, but what if, and they tell me, no, there is no what if, then I'm done. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I totally understand that. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> okay. So case, uh, what has that ultimately led you to it? Well, so yeah, what, what, uh, drew you to the Orthodox church? Well, so that was what drew me since then. I've also realized that the Orthodox church offers things that I've just seen strangely absent from Protestant church. It's not the thing that drew me, but it's just been a weird, like observation. Like for example, um, uh, confession. Confession is such a good thing. I have never heard any, even even any reason. People, like when I ask Protestants why there's no confession in Protestant churches, they don't give me like the steel, the reason they're just like, oh, well, we never even thought about that. Oh, we just oh, didn't know that was a thing. And it's like, how do, you, how do you actually deal with the fact that you have inauthenticity in your life? I needed, like, I needed someone to talk, walk me through that and walk to become a genuine, more genuine person. There's actually supposed to be people, not people who, who are closer to like, who are priests between you and God, but, but people who are like seen as like role models, people who are seen as like wise, who walk you through that. Mm. And that's generally what a, a priest in the, in the Orthodox church is, is someone who has been elevated by the community as someone who can help you. And, and like confession and saying, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me walk through it? Seems like the most natural thing in the world. Why, why, the, why the hell does that not exist in the Protestant church? It's, again, stupid. And I don't care to be a part of stupid things. Wait, okay. I, okay. <laughs> I have a thought on that. Um, so I, I totally hear you. And I think that's a really good point. Um, and I was actually just reading a book about Bonhoeffer, a German pastor in World War II who fought against the Nazis. Um, and he talks about that, how he's like, a confessor is a, a really necessary role. But within Protestantism, you, it, it's not this codified hierarchical st church structure where you have to go to the priest to, to confess. But it, uh, the, the role of confessor comes from each other, from fellow uh, members of the body of Christ, other, other believers. And, and I've experienced this in that different seasons, uh, brothers have been confessors. Uh, close friends have been confessors, mentors have been confessors. And out here, I'm currently part of a, a group of pastors that meet on a weekly basis and we're confessors with each other. Um, you can do that in the Orthodox church. You can confess to other Orthodox people. There's not like any kind of like thing saying you can't do that. Well, I guess maybe my only perception is from the Catholic church with the whole weird veil thing and you sit there and you can't see each other, but then you're like, father, I've done all these horrible things. <laughs> 
well, the Orthodox confession's different than the Catholic, but there's no veil or anything like that. But but even in like the penances and stuff, it's different. The, in the Orthodox Church, literally, what it is is they're trying to help you. Like you're saying, I'm struggling. Like, what, if you needed therapy, right? If you needed therapy, would, would you go to and just be like some guy on the street or just some friend? Like you would want someone who's trained. No, in totally. Therapy, totally, right? totally. And and often within Protestant churches. They, they do a, like a call to prayer. So with it, after the, the church sermon or whatever, they might have a moment where it's like, hey, if you have things that you want prayed for, these elders or the, or the pastor or uh, these people who are trained in, in, in praying and, and ministering in that way, um, you can come talk, talk to them. So I, it's, not, it's not completely pulled from Protestantism. It's moved into some different realms, but I think it's mostly a reaction off of the whole Catholic veil thing. Like, that it has to be a priest and has to be in this box and done this way. And I do think that's a, a, a worthwhile maneuver, a worthwhile change that, so we keep confession. So it's not just private confession. And this is what Bonhoeffer said. We, we can't just rely on private confession between you and God. There has to be another person that, that creates the healing that's needed there. Uh, First John says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed anyway. But it's, it's, it's a bit unfair to say that they've fully thrown it out. It's but still there, have, it's just in different ways. Okay, just to push back a little bit, you have to have some structure to it because it's actually dangerous to allow people to um, put their uh, influence in your life when they don't have the training and the wisdom to actually speak into those areas. Like if, you, if you're dealing with like, let's say something like, alcoholism. I'm taking this away from the church for a second. If you're dealing with something like alcoholism and you just go to one of your friends and they give you bad advice and you really internalize that, that's going to be detrimental. Like you should go to someone who has some kind of um, training, some, some kind of like uh, authority to speak into your life on these matters. Like it, it can't just be any random person. For sure. But then that structure also has created a whole host of abuses due to that power being in one person. Again, I can only point to the Catholic church because I don't know about abuses in the Orthodox church, if that's been a thing is a thing, but uh, the, the priesthood of the Catholic church has been a, a, like a cesspool for uh, because of that whole structure that you're just talking about. Well, you, but be careful because you probably have Catholics listening in on this podcast. I want to say, I, I want to say like, I don't have first-hand experience with Catholic uh, confession. I bet a lot of it's actually really beneficial. My, my point is the Protestants have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. They don't have structured confession. It doesn't exist. Not in my experience. Mm, okay. We'll pull back from the weeds. Um, Joy, this is good though. I mean, this is going to be rep- th- this is the reality that as we jump into a podcast where we're interviewing Christians, non-Christians, maybe we get a Buddhist on here and we can go like knee deep into um, theology of Buddhism. Like that would, I would love that. Um, so we're going to have part of our audience that are like really vibing with everything we're talking about. And they're like, wow, that's really fascinating. And then some other people are like, no idea what they're talking about. Um, so actually, Joey, why don't, why don't we just take a kind of a moment? I'm curious to even to see interactions that you might even have with Casey things that you would, you're, you're curious about or um, perspectives that you found interesting or, or would push back on or, or things like that. 
No, it's actually really funny because as someone that's uh, totally distant from any type of religion and then finding someone that's actually uh, thinking wise on such a same level is very interesting to me because if I was in the same position as Casey, I think I would walk all close to the same path. I feel like that that after hearing your story, after hearing the things you do, that that is the thing that I would do. Um Maybe maybe some different things because I'm still uh, a non-believer who loves worldly pleasures way too much. Because my joke before, like saying goodbye to that college orgy, well, I would probably be like, ah, man, this is gonna be awkward, but we're in. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, but uh, not necessarily questions because I feel like. It, it really depends on what you've experienced yourself. Like Casey said, is it he doesn't have any experience with, with the with the other with the other confession, so he can't speak out on that. And I think that's a good thing. If you don't have experience, don't talk about it. For sure. I feel like uh, we might get some feedback from people that had some, um, yeah, confessions done, and that they feel like oh, but they do have specialized people, and I feel like. Uh, for your example, Scott, that it has to be multiple people indeed, not just one, because there is that room for abuse, abuse of power. But we can't say for sure if that's happening. I mean, your example from the Catholic Church, yeah, it's it's a, it's a good example, but it's also a dangerous example because it's been in the news, it's been everywhere, and sure, it, it happens, but we can't say it happens everywhere. For sure, and what that, I'm and commenting not necessarily is is an attack on Catholicism, but more on what you're putting forward case, the structural, the need for, no, no, the cementing of this structural idea that the confession only looks this way. And it's always priest who kind of has all the answers and people who have none of the answers. And I just, I don't know that, and maybe it's just the Protestant bias in me, but I, I rub up against that. Also, it's a question of capacity. The pastor can, or priest, there's no way that he can counsel everyone. He's only one dude. So I'm, I really believe in like empowering all believers to, as they follow Christ, help others do the same. That's like totally what I'm doing as a navigator. So I don't know. I, I think I see what you're saying. There's things that priests or pastors have the abilities to do, but to go to them for every little sin or little thing you're struggling with just doesn't make sense. Well, there, and, and in the Orthodox Church, there's also elders. It's not like a, a position. They can't, like, it's not like a clergy position, but they're just people that are recognized as being wise, as being, um, you know, uh, people you can talk to. And, and a lot of them, you know, and, and that's encouraged, is go talk with them, go, uh, you know, have that interaction um you get wisdom from the people that you know have been proven to be wise um but it's kind of like the old image of when you want wisdom in your life where do you go you climb to the top of the mountain there's an old man sitting there cross-legged with a big long beard why is that why is that a compelling image why does that stick with us i actually think that sticks with us because yeah it's not just your drinking buddy that has the answer you need. Sometimes you got to go to someone who is actually accomplished something as far as spiritual awakening. 
Fair. Okay. So Case, what would you, what would your advice be? I think I've even asked this question before. You always get me in such a little mind tizzle in my little brain and I just get so mad. Um, but uh, what, what is your advice for Protestants? Pack up, leave, get out now, uh, you know, integrate these ideas from the orthodoxy into your, into your thinking. It's just one choice. You've made yours. Um, what? I, there's nothing I can do as far as help with the truth aspect because all Protestant churches preach different things. So you're never going to have that aspect. You can only get that from, from either, I guess, Catholicism or the Orthodox church. And I, I would, I gave my reasons why I didn't think Catholicism worked that great, but uh, communion or uh, confession, you, you could ask your pastor for that and say, Hey, every, and encourage everyone else in the congregation to start doing it. Your pastor is going to hate you. He's going to like, now I'm meeting with all these people. They're all doing their confessions. Like, well, now you're starting to earn your pay. So <laughs> that's their job. So yeah, I think that would be one thing. If you really, if, if truly you felt as a Protestant, there's something to be learned from another faith. And I would say, yeah, encourage your pastor to actually practice confessions for people. Like walk people through their struggles. I think the pastors do, but fair. <laughs> Good thought. Um, Add some structure to it. Like a regular thing. Like you meet with them once a month. How often do you meet with your priest case? I'm a catechumen. I'm not in the Orthodox. I'm, I'm entering the Orthodox church. So, so does that mean I, you don't have confession in your life right now? Well, we meet with him like every two weeks, but confession in the Orthodox church is actually a sacrament. So you'd, so like as a spiritual aspect, it's, it's something that you do when you're a part of the church, but we do meet with him and we tell him what's going on with our lives. And so I guess it's like similar thing where we're gaining his wisdom and stuff, but the actual sacrament is something done within the church. So we'll get there, I suppose. <laughs> hmm. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, okay. So any other advice for Protestants? Hmm. Because uh, the majority you know, of our you listeners. Know, you know what? Very broad, Scott. Very narrow-minded. Any life advice <laughs> for anyone. <laughs> fair. Fair. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to tie this, see if, if Casey would, I don't even know. Same, same um, answer. I guess my advice is like, uh, where does your theology sit in the grand scheme of church history? That might be a good place to start. Like, do you believe something that 90% of Christians across space and time have believed? Or are you just thinking something completely off the wall. If so, for me, that would feel kind of lonely and vulnerable. I like the fact that the things I believe are actually the things that the majority of Christians have believed across time and space. I'm not some crazy weirdo. Like these are, these are just the general things that Christians have believed. If you want to be a part of, if you want to be a Buddhist, my suggestion is believe, find out what the majority of Buddhists have believed across time and space and believe that. If not, don't call yourself a Buddhist. Like you're not. And, and if you want to be a Hinduist, find out what, or, or Muslim, find out what the majority of Muslims have believed across time and space and then call yourself a Muslim. I just don't see how you can just come up with your own ideas and then call it the same name. I like it. And then uh, case, any advice for Joey? <laughs> well, I don't know if I know Joey 
well enough. I mean, uh, I mean, you, it would be like, I can tell that you like looking things up and, um, that's my favorite kind of person because I like, I like pushback. Like I like it when some, when I make a claim, I, I'm the kind of person who makes lots of claims, obviously. A lot of claims. I like trying to trigger people because it, I'm triggered. I've noticed by triggering people, they go look things up, which is my main goal. I just want them to educate themselves. I actually don't care what they come to believe. Uh, I just don't like uneducated people. Um, so my, my thing is like, if I can annoy people on this podcast, or if I can trigger them, or if I can make them feel that I'm an arrogant prick, and it gets them to go look things up for themselves, then I did what I came to do. Hmm. Well, that's why I love the second part because I've never even seen Scott even slightly irritated or anything, and he's on edge. <laughs> this makes me so mad sometimes. So mad. But uh, but thank you. No, I I totally agree. I love to be educated on everything if possible. I I'm not one to follow someone blindly. If it's a teacher then I might do that. But even if it's a teacher, I'm, I'm still inclined to look up what they said to either add to the information or see if they're right. Because you can't follow someone blindly. Yeah. And also like if anyone listening to this wants to hit me up and like tell me how I'm wrong, I love those conversations. So, you know, that's, I don't get enough of it actually. I feel like most of the time here just pitters out. Like I make, I say something and uh, I don't get any response. So I've, I've, I started trying to just say things a little more aggressively just so I can get some engagement in life, but it's kind of, it gets boring otherwise. <laughs> oh shit, I've, been, I've, been, I've totally been doing the same, but in regular conversations. I'm, I've, normally I'm very passive aggressive and I'm like, hey, by the way, good night and just go. And I'm like, hey, you're not responding to my shit. So I'm just calling you out right now, respond. <laughs> <laughs> yep, totally. Yeah, sometimes that works better. I found so, I mean, I think people like a little spice to life. So I don't think, you know, as long because I don't make personal character attacks. I'm just challenging people's ideas in a, in a spicy way. And, but, you know, I, I think people actually like that. I think, um, and the truth is, if, if someone does come back at me with some stuff, I'm actually really open. You'll find that I actually am listening. And if I haven't read it before, I'm like, oh, dude, thank, thank you for going out and adding to my well of knowledge. My base of understanding is now larger because you went out and did some research and challenged me and awesome. So Case, I'm curious, uh, as we've walked through your, your story, um, where are you at now? What are some things that you're looking into? Um, I guess struggling with your faith, if you want to go there, doubting, but yeah, what are, what are some things, what is God currently working on in your life or what are you currently developing? Well, and then we'll go with Joey's last favorite question. Well, we'll end with that. <laughs> I mean, um, I haven't been struggling with as much with like the, you know, I don't, I don't think doubt has been a huge element of my life. Um, but um, I think as far as things I'm kind of into right now, Cause I do just go through phases of being really into things and then I dive really deep and then eventually find something else. Uh, right now I'm reading through Boethius, uh, Consolation of Philosophy, and I've read through it twice. Well, I listened to it first on, and then I've read through it. Um, 
it's an interesting book in that every major uh, leader in, in the West has read it at a crisis moment of their life when they thought everything was going to be lost. And um, from King Alfred the Great to uh, Elizabeth the First, I think, um, uh, Elizabeth the Great, Glorious, Elizabeth the Glorious, I think it was. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyway, they, they read this book because it actually helped them navigate the dark despair of the existential loss of everything. And, um, and uh, so I've been reading through, it is dense, it is hard to get through, it is not an easy read. It's, it's probably one of the hardest things to read and actually like get what he's trying to say. Uh, but what I've been doing is um, I first went through and highlighted what I thought were seminal thoughts. And then I went back and now I'm like writing, rewriting it in my own words because that helps me process. So, but I'm doing it in short little sentences for each chapter so I can get the broad scope of what his argument is. Um, and so that's kind of like my little thing right now. Uh, it's part of a larger journey of trying to understand King Alfred the Great and his, um, and his overwhelming uh, trial with the, the Viking hordes when the, in the golden age of the Vikings when they came down to destroy all of England. And it's, he, that was a very important book to him. And so I'm trying to get into his mind and see what he was using to encourage himself during that dark time. Fascinating. Dang, that's intense. Uh, what's the name of it again, Case? Consolation of Philosophy by Boethius. Uh, in our notes for this episode, it's just going to be a stink ton of references and things that we've talked about. Um, You've got a job to do to find me every <laughs> single link. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, Joey, take us home. All right, Casey. So my favorite question, if this was your last day, what were your parting words? It, it doesn't have to be a word. It can be a sentence. It can be a thing. What is your wisdom to this world when you leave it tomorrow? Hmm, like my final words on this planet. Yeah. You're done. You can't say anything else. You want to leave one teaching to this planet. Um. Well, definitely, I think the last words that I would say would be, uh, Eva, I love you, would be the last words that I would say. Um, as, yeah, and I think I would spend the last day just kind of like staring into her eyes and like us communing as much as possible. I don't think I'd be spending much time thinking about anyone else in the world. They got to deal with it. They got to do what they got to do. Good luck to them. Peace. <laughs> I don't know if that they that mattered. They mattered. The rest of the world would matter that much to me. Dude, yeah. all this this whole story about wanting to live a, a life with multiple partners. No, man, you're definitely a married man, and you made the right decision. Yes. <laughs> if that's I if agree. that's your final day. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. That's no. And, and the thing is, like, with marriage, has taught me like so much wisdom in other areas, like as an analogy for God and everything. And, um, and yeah, I wouldn't want it any other way for sure. Hmm. Hmm. Love it. All right. Well, there we go. There's our part two. 
Case, thanks again for being here. Thanks Joey, for me. thanks for being here. And you've all been listening to Between Two Worlds, podcast about belief, unbelief, and everything in between. Take care. Bye.